0: episode of X-Files Talk X-Files, the only podcast that began life as a legitimately cool criminal profiler, somehow got dragged into a world of secret societies and endgame prophecies, tried to quit with some dignity still intact, but then was given a half-hearted reprise accompanied by fucking zombies. <laughs> I'm your host, David Harwood, and joining me from X-Files News today, I have Trish Silva and Laura Dander. Hello to both of you.
1: Hello.
2: Hello.
0: So today uh, we are going to talk the first bunch of episodes from season 7, the first bunch of standalone episodes, I should say, from season 7. We're going to talk Hungry through to Orison. Before we get into the episode discussion, though, we have a listener question this week from at Erin underscore RHIT on Twitter, and her question is, favourite Scully in Danger episode? So Trish, do you want to take that first?
1: Okay. That was a hard one to think about because I, when you think about that, you know, Scully is in danger so much in yeah. the show. <laughs> it's kind of, you have like a bunch of favorite episodes.
0: It's almost easy to pick the one where she's not in danger.
1: Yeah, it's easier to do that. But there's, I think there's two types. You have to divide that question into two because there's, you know, Cancer Scully in danger, and then there's just plain danger Scully when she gets into a lot of trouble and Mulder comes to save her. But um, if it's that second one, I, I usually go, and this is funny because we're doing these episodes today, and I one of my favorites, you know, Scully as a badass and Scully in danger and, and that kind of episode, I always go for Orson because I, I love the ending of that episode. But I also love Roadrunners in season eight. That episode, especially because she she's so vulnerable because she's pregnant and she she doesn't have Mulder to come save her. So she, I think that episode has a lot more of that aspect of like Scully. You know, she's dangerous. She has she has to figure this out all by herself because even though she has. Agent Doggett as our new partner, but, you know, she's alone. She doesn't have anybody come to her rescue. So I I always have to go for Roadrunners, but followed secondly by Orison.
0: Good answers. Laura, how about you?
2: I would say that I like Never Again a lot, just because it happens to be one of my favorite episodes, and you, you see Scully finally getting to go off on her own, not being with Mulder for her she's trying to get her life together you know and then i like the ending of that a lot
0: yeah good choice yeah, a, yeah. i was actually going to go for another season four one um i actually quite like her um, oh
1: that's a good one yeah. and
0: season four was the first season i really watched on tv so a lot of those episodes are quite memorable for me but that one in particular there's that one scene where she sort of realises that the guy on the stilts is probably the killer because he's somebody who wants to be tall. And just that look on her face, and then you have the scene later on where she's strapped into the dentist's chair and she's yelling at him in German, I don't have unrest, I don't have unrest (laughs) So that that's probably gonna be the one for me. Um but I did have Roadrunners down as like maybe a second one as well. So
1: I have one (laughs) episode
0: so let's get into uh the season seven episodes we're talking about today oh. then first up we have hungry uh which of course is notable because it's an episode that we see from the monster's point of view largely and uh, Mulder and scully and Mulder in particular just keeps popping up every so often just to antagonize him and kind of hint that he maybe thinks that he's the killer and that he's gonna catch him and uh different sort of twist on a typical X-File. Of course, this one was written by Vince Gilligan, and I can't quite believe that the main guest actor in this, uh, Chad Donella, who plays Rob Roberts, was never recruited for Breaking Bad because Vince has a habit of doing that and having this young guy be a lead and turning in a pretty decent performance. you know, he hasn't been recruited from Breaking Bad yet, but maybe he'll pop up in Better Call soul
1: Yeah, maybe he will. He has sure. apparently
0: been in Castle, and he was in Final Destination, so some X-Files ties there. Mm-hmm. What's everyone's fault on this episode?
1: Um, yeah, just like you said, this is one of the very few episodes of the X-Files that we we see the story unfold through the life of the monster, you know, like his point of view. So that is and Mulder and Scully are basically just in the background for this entire episode. They're just there to follow him around and see what's going on. And uh, and and that's funny because that it, it's and again this is the brilliance of Vince Gilligan. He he turns a bad guy into somebody that you feel sorry for because that's what he did in Breaking Bad. And you know, he he made you love Mr. White, but you he was a really really bad guy and the same in this one like he's that face and all and especially because he's like trying to not be the monster that he is but you know he's still a bad guy he still does bad things but you just can't help it but feel sorry for him because he's trying so hard not to be who he is i think this is a one of those really good strong episodes in season seven too
0: yeah, it's different, and even though wilderness Scully aren't in it a whole lot. It's really strong. It's you know yeah. right from the off you have the these really high production values even for this yeah. episode, and you know the makeup alone <laughs> in this episode. Yeah,
1: it's yeah. Fantastic.
0: And um, I think a while back in one of these podcasts, I think it was Garrett um, mentioned Hungary and sort of saying how Rob was kind of like you know it was a kind of a twist on the X Files formula that we've seen before about this guy who just has to keep eating and stuff to survive and watching the episodes thinking he's not really like uh, Eugene Toomes or Virgil Encanto because we're never really giving the impression that he needs to eat human brains to survive he just has this you know insatiable appetite for them and it's kind of an addiction story uh, when you look at it it like that you know he goes to the overeaters group and you know he he doesn't need to eat these brains because he ate like the the uh, locker full of all the meat that it's all of the meat that it's spoiled. So he just has this, (laughs) he has this appetite, this addiction that he's trying to get over and it kind of makes his story heartbreaking. So you you really do feel for this guy who is a literal monster. Um, Because
1: he's really, really trying to control it, but he can't.
0: Exactly. Right. So it's a, it's a decent standalone episode. It's something different. Um, Not sure if it would go down in the books as, one of the old-timers. Um,
1: yeah.
0: But no, it's an I, episode
1: that I don't really come to very often whenever I do rewatches. But it's... It's got... It's good stuff. It's got its good
0: parts, too. Yeah, it kind of is sort of like in its own bubble because Morgul yeah. and Scully aren't in it that much. So, it's not their story, really. It is somebody else's story and that's probably why yeah. most of us don't go back and revisit it. But... When you do, it's a, it's an entertaining hour, for sure. I
1: read something funny about this episode the other day, and it was, somebody said that, and I can't remember for the life of me what it was, I think it must have been a review or something online, and um, somebody said something about, oh, like, if Mulder had been a secondary character and not really Fox Mulder, he would have been the first one to go in this episode, because he's just... <laughs> yeah. He's just there and he's careless and he's not really, he's just trying so hard to prove that it's that guy, but he's not really paying attention to anything he's doing. And I thought that was really, really funny because that is true. He would have been the first one to go.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in a conventional uh, sort of story that wasn't an X-File, yes.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the next episode, Millennium. Uh, which was the long-awaited crossover between Chris Carter's two shows at this point, Maxwell's and Millennium, and was kind of quasi-intended as um, a farewell to Frank Black, um, since Millennium had actually been cancelled by the time this one came along. And I, I don't know about either of you two, did you watch Millennium at all?
1: I've never watched it.
0: Okay. I did not. Okay, so, <laughs> so this is going to be a pretty one-sided discussion then. Um, so if you haven't seen Millennium, um, basically it's about Frank Black, who's a criminal profiler. Uh, Chris Carter got the idea for the show after writing Irresistible, um, thought that there was an idea there that um, rather than having these FBI agents going out week after week searching down different um, monsters and sort of paranormal kind of killers, that it was a lot scarier when the bad guy was just a normal regular guy and he just had, you know, these evil motivations. So that was sort of the genesis for the show and that's pretty much what the first season of the show was. It was all about Frank Black. Uh, each week was a different case, some sort of spree killer or serial killer, um, and it was a really good, very dark show. Um, and it was sort of balanced out with his home life, with with his wife and his young daughter, um, and his role was basically, you know, he dealt with all this darkness uh, in his job because he wanted to make the world a better place to keep his family safe. And then, as the show went on uh, in season two, uh, Glenn Morgan and Jim Wong actually took over running the show from Chris Carter. Yeah, and I know that. at the urging of Fox, added in a lot of mythology kind of elements which were lacking in season one, sort of making the Millennium group that Frank worked for very mysterious and sort of wanting to bring around the end of the world uh, in the year 2000. And it kind of just went off the rails a little bit and by the time season three came along Chris Carter was back in charge and he was trying to tie together elements of season one and season two and take the show in a different direction and of course it was cancelled then um, after season three without really having a proper sign off But uh, I just want to go give you a quick few episodes if you haven't seen the show Um,
1: I meant to watch it, I really want
0: to Yeah, it's not on Netflix right now, which is a shame.
1: Ah, it's a shame. I hear a lot of people talking about how they're trying to get it to go on Netflix, but...
0: I can't imagine it would be, you know, an insurmountable thing for them to get it on Netflix. I mean, maybe some other uh, streaming service has got the rights right now, but... I
1: don't think it's any any of the major ones. They have it, right? There's none of them.
0: So surely it's going to happen at some point, but... Otherwise, the DVDs are available.
1: Yeah, I actually have. The DVDs, I just haven't gotten to watch
0: the show. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm just going to give you my top five episodes from the entire show real quick. You know, anybody that hasn't seen it, if you can at least check these ones out and kind of get a taster of what the show is. Um, Check out The Judge in season one. That's just a classic, dark uh, first season episode. Um, Midnight of the Century from season two, which is Millennium's Christmas episode, which is very sort of melancholy and depressing, which is just what you want from a nice Christmas
1: episode. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, Another season one episode is the well-worn lock, uh, um, Gehenna from season one. And there's another couple which are kind of memorable um from season two it's Anamnesis, i think it's called and then from season three the sound of snow which is kind of really bizarre but it's one okay. of the latter ones that sort of stuck in my brain but the judge from season one i think that's got to be the definitive millennium episode for me so if you haven't seen the show before go and check that one out and see if you like what's there uh but back to back to the x-files episode millennium okay. um as someone who's a X-Files fan and a Millennium fan, I was kind of frustrated by this episode because it doesn't really give Frank Black a lot to do. And I would have much rather have seen him be involved in an episode with more of a conventional killer. Um, yeah. Somebody um, who was more sort of human in nature and um, not the zombies. Um and he's not even in it that much. He sort of no. has a couple of scenes and then he turns up at the end to save Mulder. Um, and Lance Henriksen is reportedly not very happy with that episode and he still wants to get some sort of millennia movie or brief revival going so he can at least lay this character to rest and give him a proper sign-off. Um, but I'm rambling on. You guys want to talk about the kiss, so let's, let's <laughs> go talk about that. <laughs>
1: Um, I'm going to go back before we talk about the kids, but, you know, I've heard a lot of that from a lot of Millennium fans that, you know, even though this is supposed to be like the big bye-bye Millennium by Frank Black and all of that, but a lot of Millennium fans don't like this episode at all. Even though, you know, I don't know that much about Millennium or Lance Henriksen other than the Alien movies. but. He is fantastic, in 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 even the just the very few scenes he's got in this episode, he's he's fantastic in it. Yeah, and it's sad to see that it's he's not used much more than just a couple of scenes. They should have, I think, because you know the story is just, the zombie story is like the worst zombie story ever. <laughs> it's not really, zombie? I mean, there's like four zombies you can't really expect the world to be destroyed by four zombies
0: they're not even zombies that can communicate they just your right. typical night of the living dead kind of zombies Yeah, that...
1: exactly they're not those kind of zombies you know a lot like george romero zombies they're just like they're, they're and then, yeah they're chris carter zombies yeah. <laughs> chris carter, they, <laughs> they, they don't do anything like they're not that big a threat I mean you look at them yeah they're kind of scary but what are they gonna do they can't do anything they they even bit Mulder but like he didn't get any virus from it. he didn't do anything nothing happened to him like how are they gonna expect to have like these four guys
0: to destroy the world Yeah,
2: even he's like trapped in the basement with them it's scary because there's like no threat <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, it would probably no, take yeah. the zombies until 2001 to actually get at those steps, anyways.
2: Yeah. As slow
0: and, and coordinated <laughs> and, as they were.
1: Mulder, well, Mulder, will probably be still waiting that little salt circle of his that Scully comes to his rescue by
2: 2001.
1: This it is <laughs> it's other than the the end and like Frank Black in this episode, there is not much, but not much for it. I'm not a big fan of this episode, except for the very end.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not a great episode, unfortunately. I mean, I really want it to be because, you know, you you do have that monumental kiss moment, of course, at the yeah. end, which, you know, was, I'm sure, if my memory served me right, just played over and over in the marketing for this, <laughs> yeah. and it is the send off for Frank Black, and he deserved much better than this. He
1: deserved much better than this, um, yeah.
0: Apparently the idea of the zombies in this was because um, Stephen King apparently was planning on writing a second episode of the X-Files for season 7 and he wanted to do a zombie one and that didn't pan out. So they figured they'd just use the zombies here. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I would rather have seen them do is, um, obviously we have Orison coming up, we're going to talk about in a little bit, that maybe they could have integrated Donnie into this yeah. one instead so it would make it would be more logical then for Frank Black to come in because they are dealing huh. with this very human kind of killer, and of course it was Irresistible that inspired Chris Carter to create Millennium in the first place
1: that and
0: Orison is even written by uh, Chip Johannesson who yeah. was an executive producer on Millennium so they should, they should maybe have folded those two ideas together rather than the zombie one yeah um, maybe every week everybody could have been a little bit happier but then you know how would how would that episode have ended because you'd still want scully to be the one that kind of goes head to head yeah. with donnie and and gets her revenge sort of so
1: yeah
0: so it's a disappointed episode mm. um but just thinking about it and what rewatching it is maybe me want to go back and check out some of those better episodes of millennium and Season one mm-hmm. is hands down the best season. If you only watch one season, watch season one. Okay. Up next, then, we have Rush. And this is the one I was probably least looking forward to rewatching because I'd forgotten how good it is. Yeah. Because you go on Netflix and there still is, I think, Chastity, that girl, sort of in the high school corridor, and I'm just thinking, oh god, it's another Teen Angst one. And I think yeah. the last Teen Angst one we had was The Killer Trees. <laughs> so oh yeah. Like, oh yeah I, I don't want to watch this but I, I did re-watch it yesterday and I had forgotten how cool this episode is yeah it's I, a really good episode it's just got great acting throughout from all of the kids the yeah. script is just really compelling um, and there's lots of moments in it which I, I did remember um, like the flying chair and the car wreck and it's surprising how late in the late in the story each of those things actually happens. There's a lot of build-up to it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. But it's just such a great episode. Of course, we've got Chuck in there as well. Um and just from the beginning of this episode again, just the production values are just you know, so high. Right. Yep. I mean, not say anything against the Vancouver crew because, you know, they obviously did really good production values on a TV budget and schedule. Yeah. But since the move to L.A., it, you know, of course, probably got higher budget than the Vancouver crew ever did Absolutely. have. But just the phenomenal level of production values and the, spe- the special effects and, you know, you can just see all the money that they've thrown at Rush. Yeah. And just to go back, and I'm actually going to get a little bit shippy here, so I'm sure uh-huh. lots of the listeners are going to be laughing at this, but watching these episodes again, you know, and I've probably been exposed to the shipper mindset doing these podcasts over the past few (laughs) months (laughs) but I sort of looking at it okay so after the kiss at the end of millennium there seems to be something going on here because this episode starts with them traveling separately arriving there separately which they don't normally do no okay maybe that's to avoid suspicion that maybe they have a relationship right and then when Scully does arrive Mulder has a huge smile on his face yeah when they go to the police station to interview that kid uh, Mulder's sort of checking out chastity and Scully sort of gives him a nudge and a look when his yeah. eyes linger for a little too long.
1: So fiddles with this tie later on.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I
1: think it's right after that scene when they get out of that entire room with that kid, and she's talking about how she wants to pursue this other line and see that you know suggest that it may not be something supernatural this time and try to talk to the kids she's you can't see it but you you can't even <laughs> see it you you can just like see that she's looking down and like she's doing something okay and uh, yeah she's just like fiddling with his tie
0: well and then after this episode in Goldberg variation they once again travel separately uh, right, yeah and there's a definite vibe going on throughout the episodes, and uh, listeners, that is the uh, first and the last time that I'm going to get into <laughs> shipping, uh, shipping speculation. So uh, <laughs> I'm gonna let Lauren Tish jump in here.
1: Okay, I, I do want to say something about Rush that not a whole lot of people talk about this, but and it's not something that it's canon. It's just like it's something that it's nobody knows actually. But like when um. That that other kid, not Max, the other kid goes into the cave, and um, you know he gets like picked up by whatever field of force that yes. is, and and and, and all this just it. It makes you think about because there's no mention of any UFO in this episode whatsoever, or any relation to a UFO or anything about aliens in this. This is not a mythology episode, but that scene, can't, you know, I can't help it, but. Think about the same thing when happened in Requiem with Scully. Yeah, she gets picked up by that UFO in the exact same way. Yes, and it, it makes you it makes you wonder. You know, like is this a UFO in this cave? And it's something that you don't, you know, they don't talk about, and nobody has has ever talked about it. And they, it's something that you just don't know. Like they never explain where his force came from, and, and other than you know, it came from this one cave whatever it is in there, but they never explain what the source is. And it makes you wonder, maybe it is a UFO. Yeah, that's a
0: good point. I got it. Yeah, I mean, most people probably wouldn't notice that just watching the, sh- the show straight through chronologically, but going back, I mean, that special effect is so noticeable so in Requiem. Yeah. So that when you do go back and watch Rush again, you know, you can't help but notice that that's the same thing. And exactly. The first time I noticed it, I just figured that, okay... They invented this cool effect and
2: right why not
0: why not use it twice but no i've read those theories online as well that maybe that's where they did get their power from that maybe there was some sort of alien activity going on because there. they never and, do explain it do and explain? thinking of it in those terms is quite nice because it, it harkens back to like season one and season two yeah, yeah, where definitely. there was these standalone stuff um, yeah where there's like the alien stuff sort of going on, but it was a standalone and it wasn't really about aliens, even though yeah. that was kind of causing some stuff to happen.
1: Yeah. Makes you wonder. I think there's something about, you You mentioned earlier about that scene with the teacher in the lunchroom and the smashing of the table. And I, I remember I read it earlier today, but I can't remember for life of me where I saw it. And it was, there was, And I want to say that there was an addition to that scene shot, but it turned out that it was too gruesome and they couldn't air it, or there was another scene that was written, but they couldn't film it. There's something about that scene. Do any of you know anything about this?
0: I think that they maybe had a shot where the table hits him and that Standards and Practices asked them to remove that because it was too gruesome and they actually kind of preferred that cut because they thought when you the audience didn't see it what you imagine is so much worse yeah which is interesting because rewatching watching it i could have sworn that i did actually see the impact but maybe it's just a brief sort of cut away from it and think, you, you yeah. think that you do
1: I, I i just watched that episode today and you don't see it you see it afterwards when Mulder and scully are back in that cafeteria and they're just now seeing the dead body for the front and it's still there. And you see the chair and the table.
0: Up next, uh, we have uh, another episode, um, which is a really, really good one. Um, another one, which I always think of when I think of season seven, the Goldberg variation, yeah. and this is just such a well plotted episode. Um, apparently it was, it came in short, so they had to add some extra scenes to it um but even so the episode feels so short when you watch it because it's just such a joy to watch and it's such a breeze it just goes by so quickly yeah it's 40 Mm -hmm. something minutes it feels like it's just about 22 minutes yeah um this was written uh is it by jeffrey bell who wrote um the rain king in season six and also alpha in season six yeah two of my least favorite season six episodes (laughs) Uh, But I love this one, and I like his other uh, Season 7 episode, Signs and Wonders, as well. Yeah, that's a good one. There's just so much to love in this episode. It's a a Mm -hmm. quirky one, uh, but every little quirky detail serves some sort of purpose, like the fact that the guy has got a fake eye.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, you just think, oh, what the hell is that dude in X-Files? It's just a little bit out of left field. It's a bit too cute (laughs) and quirky. Um, but of course, we find out then that he—the reason he has a glass eye is because he survived the plane crash, and that was his only injury. So that's where the, that's where the glass eye came from. And of course, without the glass eye, they wouldn't have been able to find Henry in the first place. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and it's all that whole cause and effect, and luck, which runs through throughout the theme of this episode. The whole
1: episode, yeah. And I think the, the title of the episode is um, it's an homage to Rube Gober who created those kinds of machines, the cause and effect machines. So that's a, it's just a really nice nod. I really like
0: that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course you have Willie Garson playing that oh, role. Oh, he's fantastic. <laughs> he is. You just can't imagine yeah. anybody else doing that.
1: No, absolutely not. And the, and. It just looks like that is exactly how he is. You know, like he cares, but not really. He yeah. just he's got one purpose in life and that's all he's doing and that's it. He doesn't care about anything else. That's all he's just focused on that one thing.
0: Yeah, it's and it's a nice little concept as well that Yeah you know, 'cause Mildred's be doing their sort of banter and they're saying so what if He just got really, really lucky. That's your theory. And then, of course, it it turns out that's what the X-File is. He's the luckiest man in the world. Yeah,
1: which makes you wonder, like, why did Mulder get interested in this case in the first place? Because when he first gets there, it's just the guy who fell. And, you know, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Like Scully was saying, like, people, you know, they fall off with their parachutes, don't open, and, you know, they come out with like maybe a broken arm or something you know it's luck stuff like that happens but like why was Mulder interested in this in the first place there was no conspiracy behind it I mean there was but there's like he didn't know anything all they knew was that some guy fell off the roof and took off
0: yeah and uh Scully says at one point, I think, like, why are we even investigating this? There's, yeah, I there's, there's no crime concerned. here. And I am thinking think, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And then about halfway through, they go, oh, well, he can testify against the mob. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's why we're yeah, here. Yeah. He can testify. That's right.
1: But that's not really their job. That's not an ex-spy. You know, <laughs> it's a mafia guy. Like,
2: <laughs> but there's a lot of cases that start out like that. Like, Mulder just goes off on a hunch and then, like, eventually it leads to something paranormal, you know? So it's not like the first time that's happened. But that there's, they
1: have- usually, there's usually something supernatural or something weird yeah. about it. And there's nothing, not one shred of little thing in this in this case that makes it, you know, interesting for Mulder. It's funny. Maybe he just wanted to go to Chicago. Who knows? <laughs>
2: he just wanted a hot dog. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe he just wanted to go for a romantic weekend in Chicago there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and that's why they had to travel
1: separately. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's another thing he says to her as soon as he sees you know, like they, they, There's a lot more in this episode than the previous ones about like, yes. play for nature with them. And uh, when he first sees her, he's like, hey, nice outfit. Like, yeah. It's not, I mean, it's Mulder's way of flirting, but it's not really good at flirting, but it's funny. She gets it. <laughs> Yeah, I love that season seven flirting. <laughs> yeah, season seven season six has some flirting too, but not as much as season seven. Season seven is definitely
0: more. Yeah, it definitely seems in your face, although I was probably oblivious to it <laughs> <laughs> at the time. I just sort of took it more as their just sort of their friendship and their babe. banter. <laughs> <but> <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Just do it. Just give it. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's happening to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that kind of flirting definitely rears its head again uh, in The Amazing Mulaney.
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, I guess first person shooter a little bit there as well, and of course Hollywood AD. Of course. <laughs> it's
1: it's it snowball from
0: there on. Yeah. <laughs> so anything non shipper. That we could talk about this episode.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you know this is funny because th- I don't know if this is the first time or or one of the few times that Scully is actually the one who solves this case with a supernatural thing early on, but she doesn't even believe what she's saying because she she suggests it. She's like maybe this is just a lucky guy, and um, but she doesn't even believe what she's saying. She doesn't believe her own theory, but she's the one who solves the case. Way early on. It's funny to see that and uh, that it came from her and not from Mulder. So that is interesting.
0: Yeah. It's, it's kind of like her turning around and going, and you suspect what? Bigfoot? And then Bigfoot just yeah. kind of comes out of the trees and goes, like, Yeah, yeah, it was me. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it, it is interesting that, you know, she does call this one, even though she's kind of making fun of Mulder when she does it.
1: Yeah.
2: The biggest exile though is when he throws that lottery ticket away. It always gets oh. me.
0: I'm like, ah! Through that winning large <laughs> Such a funny scene.
2: It is.
1: <laughs> he, you know, by that logic, he should have gone back and took the one, the, the, the real lottery one, the one that you get millions, because by, you know, whatever the first one, the first payment you get from it, would be more than a hundred thousand and you'd be able to get what you need and just use that money. But I guess it would take a while too before. It's not like you can just buy a lottery ticket or a scratch off and win it and just get the money the same day. It doesn't happen that way.
0: Yeah, that's true. And he's um, know. You know, reluctant to exploit his luck too much because he knows that that bad stuff does happen.
1: Yeah, that's true. And,
0: uh, that truck actually that knocks the guy down is yeah. it, it turns out to be the same truck that later on knocks Henry down outside the hospital when the mafia guy is chasing him. Oh, and, yeah. and I think there's a logo on the side of the truck. There and is, it's I It's like um, Shamrock Bakery. Yeah. So another sort of reference to luck there.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I, I love that bit when they're sort of interviewing the store owner afterwards. This goes like, okay. So tell me one more time, just so I have it straight. And he's like, after he regained consciousness, he gave me the ticket. He's like, I want you to have this.
1: Uh, right? <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: that guy is great. <laughs> yeah, he was great. So funny. So uh, if nobody has, if nobody else has anything else to say on this one, let's move from a lovely, happy episode to more of a darker one yeah yeah <laughs> and um orison the return of donny faster um obviously was first in irresistible we've talked about it a little bit in this episode already uh but this episode isn't just donny faster you also have a priest with questionable ethics so it's kind of a double whammy for scully right yeah. from the off here and, Uh, Obviously, you you can hear from the sound effects outside my window (laughs) (laughs) that uh, we're getting into dramatic territory here. (laughs) So um, I'm just, you've already said, uh, Trisha, that you really like this episode.
1: I do, yes. I love this episode.
0: Um, I'm going to let you jump in first and, and talk about this then, and I'll kind of give you some of my thoughts.
1: Afterwards. Okay. Um, I may even go as far as saying that I like this better than Irresistible. Um, I do love Irresistible. It's you know, it's when we first meet Donnie Fester. It's he's so creepy, and all of the the stuff that he did before is just so creepy. But I think from uh, Scully's point of view, you know, all that she's been through up to this point, and then she meets up with this guy again because. If I can remember correctly, this was, you know, like, her first major, you know, uh, face-off against something so as evil as this guy. And, you know, he's back into her life now. Again. And it's it's all just too much for her. And she keeps trying to get explanations for it. With, like, she digs so fast. She, she's trying to find something so hard because... She hears a song and she, you know, like she's trying to find an explanation for something. And it turns out that there really isn't. But she, the even though I, like, I appreciate, and I appreciate all the religiousness of this episode too. Like it brings it. Because you don't really, you see him in, you see him talk about religion in, in irresistible too. Like he's studying religion, and then like all of a sudden, there's so much religion in this episode, and I kind of like that about this episode, even though I don't like the fact that Kelly's religious, but I do like this the the religiousness in this episode is really really good. Yeah, and um, you know, like from the clock, the six sixty six on the clock to the priest and all of that it it all falls and fits perfectly into this whole mess that she's in and the ending scene of this episode which is just it was wonderfully directed by rob bowman too by the way because there's no dialogue there's nothing it's just that you know she's she's trapped in her apartment with this guy and she just gotta fight it and you, all you do is you see her fight him and you hear the score. It's just brilliant. And it's like, it's slow, that slow pace. Makes it, like, when you watch it for the first time, it's, you're terrified for it. But you can still, you know, appreciate all of that.
0: Yeah, I just want to touch on real quick what you're saying there about the whole religious aspect to this one. And yeah. there's that scene at the end after she shot Donnie. Yeah. And she's sort of saying about what was what power was it in me that that let me do that? And, right, it's yeah. uh, something along the lines of Lola well, says you think that maybe it was God, and, he, and she's like, "Well, I'm worried that maybe it wasn't." And yeah. that's an idea that is revisited then. in I want to believe when she's talking with yeah. Father Joe, and he, Father yeah. Joe says something like, um, "Why else would he send me these visions?" And Scully's so like, "Maybe it's God, not. Maybe it's not God doing the sending."
1: Right, and then you know, like it, it makes her wonder too because when it it all happened so fast but you know like when you see it all slow down like she she got in a way she freed herself and he was busy with Mulder or whatever she wasn't I don't even know if you can actually call that self-defense because they could have just arrested him and let it be the end of it but she just kept on going so that is something I think that was was w- really scary for her, was the fact that, you know, she could have just arrested him, but she didn't.
0: She does mention earlier on in the episode that, or maybe it's during that same battle, that um, we should have just let you die.
1: I think it's, yeah, I think it's that in the battle.
0: Then, you know, she's the only reason that he's still alive, because she asked the judge to get him alive. Yeah, and not,
1: that's kind of
0: Laura, what are your thoughts on this one?
2: I personally, I love episodes that play on Scully's psych. And with this one, I see a lot, like, with Beyond the Sea. Like, he got into her head. And I think that had to, a lot to do with her pulling the trigger. Like, she, in a way, I think that Scully believed that he was the devil. Like, I honestly think she believed that he was true evil. And wh- whether she did that intentionally or, you know, sp- psychologically, you know, something inside her told her to pull that trigger. And I believe, like, the whole thing with that song relaying back to her pastor being killed and that was the first time that she realized that there was evil in the world. Well, she relates that to Donnie. So.
1: Yeah. yeah, I agree.
0: I mean, my one complaint with this episode is that, that um, you know, we kind of see Donnie portrayed as a literal demon here um which kind of contradicts irresistible the whole idea of that episode was that you know you haven't got to be some sort of monster Uh, if you are a person that has evil in them it's more horrific in a way you know yeah i've already talked about you know that was the basis for millennial and you know in season two the show went off the rails because it did actually start including literal demons sitting around in a donut shop <laughs> talking about how Frank Black had thwarted them on various different occasions Whereas season one was all about these very human um killers these very human evil entities and that's what Donnie always was to Scully that's why she that's why he was such a nemesis and it kind of yeah. Undercut that in a way for me because they do portray him as a demon, and I get that it's probably to try and tie into her, you know, backstory a little bit to try and tie into those religious elements more so than they have before. Um, I just don't think that it was necessary, and I think that it lost a little bit of that terror because of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Any other thoughts on Orison, or are we pretty much done?
1: You think there should
0: be more Scully in pajamas? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I I will be honest. Watching that scene where you know he throws her into the mirror and everything. Yeah. I was just try- I was just my mind just sort of went off trying to think of what episode is it coming up where where Mulder's talking to her landlord or something and. He's saying about how what a nice building it is, and Mulder's like, do you realize how many people have been shot or killed in this apartment? And he's All like, right. oh, we don't talk about that. What, uh-huh. e- what episode is that from? Because I could not figure it out. I
1: can't remember.
0: Oh, I bet I know what it is. Is it Onami where she disappears with cigarette smoking man?
1: Oh, yeah. Mulder's trying to track Has her down. Her, is it the landlord who's talking to him? Yeah. She disappears yeah
0: that's what it is isn't it yeah i could not figure it out and it's been driving me crazy for like the last couple of days since i watched this one
1: that's another great
0: episode (laughs) it is it is that's still to come but yeah i was just you know thinking that why doesn't she move i mean (laughs) after everything that's happened (laughs) and okay another continuity thing then in this episode is that her bathroom looks totally different from the bathroom where Eugene Victor Toombs came in?
1: Yeah, it does. That's another thing about this apartment, this uh, episode too. Like, this is probably one of the very few episodes, if not the only one, that you can actually see Scully's whole apartment. Like parts of it that you never saw before. She's just running when she's running, trying to escape him, and she runs everywhere. It's like, oh, Scully actually has a nice apartment.
0: Let me give you a tour <laughs> uh,
1: Yeah <laughs> Like it's not a very good tour But you know, take a
0: look There's blood over there And over
2: there Bolt yeah. <laughs> we'll, <we'll> holes here <laughs> yeah. uh, And
0: this is where I keep all my candles
1: <laughs> Right? Okay That's another thing that I was thinking about when Because whenever you see Donnie Fester walk into an apartment He's not carrying anything, it's just him so, did Scully actually have all those candles at home? Like, why? That's a lot of candles, Scully.
0: You probably uh, did, like the Amazon Prime thing where you get it delivered in the hour. <laughs> <laughs> or
1: maybe there was some kind of sale going on at Bath & Body Works.
0: Okay, let's uh, go on to the quiz for okay. today then, because uh, the funder outside is trying to tell me to wrap this up, so. Okay. So I have uh, five questions and as it works out, I have one from every episode that we've talked about. So I'll just go through them and whoever knows the answer, just jump on in there. So in Hungary, what is the name of the fast food restaurant where Rob Roberts worked?
1: It's something, it's big, something.
2: I thought it was Lucky Boy.
0: It is Lucky Boy. Well done. In millennium, what Bible verse was in the dead deputy's mouth? Then you can you can just give me the numbers, uh, but if you
1: seventeen I know one of them is seventeen it's seventeen something or something seventeen. One seventeen or seventeen one.
0: Very close. Uh two (laughs)
1: seventeen? Uh, no, I, I just remember 17.
0: <laughs> it's uh, 118.
1: 118.
0: Revelations 1, chapter 18. Oh, yeah. I failed that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the hardest one of the bunch, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in Rush, what are the Adams High School colors?
1: Purple and yellow? Exactly. Yeah.
0: All right. Hold well on. <laughs> in the Goldberg variation, what was the name of the store owner where Henry bought his winning scratch card? Oh. Mm. Louis? No. Oh, totally guessing. <laughs> Albert? No. I don't no. Know. <laughs> it was Maurice.
1: Maurice, oh, yeah, like, Maurice. He
0: gave me the ticket and he was like, Maurice, Maurice, I want you to have this. I want you to have it, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, question five from Orison. What is the song that Scully keeps hearing throughout the episode? Uh,
1: don't look any further.
0: It is in the four out of five. Well Yay. done. So on that note, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up before the uh, storm descends and gets any louder. Uh, <laughs> Listeners, please go along to xfilestalkxfiles.com and uh, click on the contact button and send me some listener questions for some upcoming episodes because I'm getting a little low on the stockpile, so I do need some more questions to come in. Um, you can also send them to me via Facebook and Twitter. I'm David T. Harwood on both of those. And also, whilst you're on xfilestalkxfiles.com, go ahead and please click on the Amazon affiliate link. Uh, it won't cost you anything extra to buy through Amazon by doing that, but a little bit of the money you spend will come back to help support the show. Uh, Trish, Laura, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Um, they can still talk with us on social media. For now, we are still active on Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and um, Instagram. It's all X Files news. So talk excellent to
0: there. All right, and on that note, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. You've been listening to X-Files Talk X-Files. I'm David Harwood. Thank you for listening. Glory, amen. Glory, amen. Glory, amen.
1: And flying saucers and ETs And government conspiracies But I've seen none of the above If I did, I think I
0: probably would run a million miles Lose my little mind